Hello and welcome to this episode of the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how you doing? Pretty good, Adam. Uh, hopefully all of our listeners are doing well and are uh, excited for another edition of the Basement Talk Podcast, where we are totally fishing for content, but that's okay. We, yes, have, a great, that is... we, we have a great show plan. Yes, it is. Honestly, I think... I hope that our listeners are listening to this outside because this week, this weekend is going to be fucking gorgeous. Yes. Hopefully you're walking and listening to this podcast, but I mean, if you're not, that's okay too. But of course, really- because exercise is very important, but hopefully everyone is, is out and about being socially responsible. Of course, with the current, health situation going on again we have banished the five letter v word on this podcast and everyone is still practicing safe social distancing and uh keeping up to up to date with their hygiene and, and things like that i don't know if you saw uh adam but given the um the situation that's uh that's going on with the fallout in minneapolis which by the way we will um we will address once and only once, which is uh, that we at the Basement Talk podcast uh, send our thoughts and our prayers out to the family of George Floyd. Obviously, we do not condone what um, what went down in Minneapolis, but at the same time, we have to be respectful of what everybody believes in from both sides. So obviously um, respecting each other's opinions in this matter is uh, very, very important. And hopefully we can all have a discussion with the opposite sides of this, regardless of what side you are on. But with that being said, I don't know if you saw Adam that um, the number of cases nationwide of the, of the five letter V word went up uh, 27,000. That was the number that came out today nationwide in the last week. Memorial Day is a cruel mistress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was it because so, of those protests? Let me tell you. It takes it, a week or two weeks for this virus to uh, incubate in your system. This was it, Memorial Day. Yeah, this is a, co- this is a combination of, 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 I would say it's Memorial Day more than anything else. I think you, I think with the, with the numbers, with what's going on, with all the protests and things like that that are, that are going down, You'll see those numbers come out in a week or two, and we'll see how um, how how this how COVID is if it's still around, if it's going to spike, if it's not. We'll see with uh, with that. But uh, for now, we have uh, we have we have a lot of stuff to uh, to talk about, don't we? Yeah, we do. Because actually, every team, almost every team, major sport in America has decided that this was the time to uh, discuss their labor agreements, their collective bargaining agreements. I guess they all were set to expire on the same, on the same day, on the same year. I they guess just, so. Because the NFL just ratified their CBA, which seems like 50 years ago. Because like the draft seems like it's 50 years. It happened 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. Was yeah. Joe Namath picked first overall? Is that, is that what happened? <laughs> God. So 
And now uh, the NBA, well, actually, I don't think the NBA really is doing anything with their CBA, but actually they're doing something with the playoffs, which we will talk about later. Uh, we have Major League Soccer in America. They have reached an agreement on a collective bargaining agreement. And baseball, excuse me, and baseball is having a sort of standoff about this between the owners and the players. Major, major issues, I think, is what you're, uh, what you're fishing for there, Adam. Yeah, and this is not the first time that this has happened. And Ooh. I'm seeing a similar outcome to the last couple of times that this happened, or at least the last time that this happened. Which you know, the, um, the, the hunch that I had when it came to, to baseball all along was whether it was down to a labor dispute between the players and the owners or whether it was down to just simple government guidelines. Uh, the, the initial sort of feel that I had was that if there wasn't a plan in place by the beginning of June to potentially restart the season or start the season, if you will, um, by the 4th of July. So that was kind of the end game that I saw. That was, you know, where I at least thought there's probably no season if baseball starts or can't have a start date before July 4th. And now that it is really looking like the players are not looking at a budge on the owner's uh, the terms to restart the, the season, it's it's looking real, real, real bad. And, and I mean, it's a shame, too, because you really we, – we've – it feels like our lifetime, Adam, that we've had – We've had an NBA lockout. We've had a NFL lockout. We've had NHL. We've had nothing in terms of a disagreement between the players and the owners in Major League Baseball, and they're looking like the one professional league that is just not going to happen. Well, uh, that's mainly because we were born in 1996. True. Very true. Let's be real. Because this is not, like I said, this is not the first time. This will definitely not be the last time this happens. But, yeah, I mean, the NBA had a lockout where they lost games in 2011-2012. The NHL lost a season one year, and then they lost like half a season in 2012-2013. The NFL, thankfully, did not lose games going from 2010 to 2011 in the offseason. But, I mean, I think it definitely had an effect on some in the league. But, yeah, baseball, at least in our lifetimes, because mainly we were born after 1994 in the canceled World Series, baseball has been the one league where it was just like, okay, so I guess we're just going to re, re, uh, we're gonna re, re-up the CBA. Sure, fine. Okay, let's, uh, let's set the clock ahead 10 years until we have to talk about this again. But now, with the prospect of baseball being a sport with dwindling attendance because of all the teams that are tanking, you have the salary suppression uh, and service time manipulation of teams looking to exploit their players and exploit analytics, exploit in the worst possible way, in my opinion. And you also have players who are being forced to take deals below market value because uh, teams either want to tank 
because they don't think they have a shot to go up against the super teams of the Yankees and the Dodgers and Red Sox and uh, teams of that, of that ilk, or you have uh, owners that don't want to spend any money because they, they're going to be getting, they're going to be making a profit regardless. So they don't want to spend any, any money. They don't care. Adam, you forgot about cheating. You forgot about that also one cheating. too. Also cheating, of course. But I'm just talking about financials because that's really the main factor here. Of course. I mean, you have you have a 25-man roster of a certain baseball team located in the southern part of the United States and their coaching staff and, and their front office members and their owner that have made uh, a lot of money off of off of cheating. So I would call, I would call that a, uh, a financial uh, proposition. Well, yeah, I understand. A lot of those guys still have World, have, have World Series rings because of certain cheating that went down. Could have had two if it weren't for the Washington Nationals. Thank God for the Washington Nationals. I will never, never say that sentence. But, I mean, thank God the Astros didn't cheat. Didn't, uh, you could do Series. it. You could do it. I'm not asking you to say thank God for the Phillies. Or the yeah, Braves. Right. Or the Braves. Honestly, I don't know. I think I, I mean, I hate the Phillies and the Braves more than the Nationals. But the Nationals, the Nationals are likable. They're likable. Uh, they're likable now because they don't have Bryce Harper. That's why. I, I saw the Nationals the way that I used to see the Bills, where it was just like, oh, that's like the third team in the division. Well, now I see the Marlins that way, where it's just like, oh, well, I guess it's just like I'm, the surpri- team. I'm surprised you even consider the Marlins at all. Yeah, I don't. Not, it's been a while. I would I I wouldn't even consider the Marlins. The only way the only plausible reason why I even think about the Marlins is because Derek Jeter owns the team, but Derek Jeter seems to care about being the owner of the Marlins more than being a uh, ex New York Yankee. So I'm gonna get a lot of heat for that statement, but I don't care. Welcome to Bird's Hot Takes with your host, Adam hey, Castor. <laughs> hey, as you know, as you know, Adam, we've had this discussion before. I'm not, I'm, I, I respect what Derek Jeter has done for the New York Yankees. I respect that he is one of the greatest players that we have ever had to wear the pinstripes. I get that, but I'm an A-Rod guy. Sorry. Yep. Well, to finish my thought, I was going to say that I hold the, the Nationals in the same way they used to hold the Bills, where the Bills were just like the team that always finished below. It was just like, I don't really care. There's no like history. Like the Bills Jets rivalry doesn't have as much of a history as like Jets Patriots or Jets Dolphins. And the Mets and Nationals, I mean, recently there have been some really good games between the two. But when the Nationals were like basically fresh out fresh out of Montreal, it was not a rivalry. It was nothing. There there isn't as much there as there is with the Mets and the Phillies or the Mets and the Braves. Adam, how would you feel if Alex Rodriguez became the owner of the New York Mets? I'd feel a little weird. It would kind of be very cyclical because I think when the Mets were trying to sign A-Rod, one of his demands was a stake in ownership in his contract. Sounds like an A-Rod thing to do. So I think it it would be very strange. The man was just ahead of his time. I think... If he, I mean, if he spends money, I'd be fine with that because the Wolpons aren't doing that. Would you say if A Rod bought the Mets tomorrow, would you say something nice about him? 
I'd probably say like one nice thing about him. One or okay. two. I'll, I'll take one. I'll take one. I could say many nice things about him. I will. If he, he wants to, he wants to go by the Mets. Go ahead. Secret special agent, Alex Rodriguez. Anyway, let's carry the Mets. Okay. Let's go like you did with the like Jeter did with the Marlins. It was all it was Bury all ploy, it was all ploy so the Yankees could get uh, Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> oh right! So when Alex Rodriguez buys the Mets, he's going to trade us Jacob Degrom. Yes. Oh, I, okay. All right. Well, not Degrom. I think he's going to trade. If he bought the Mets today, he'd probably trade Syndergaard for like one pitching prospect. You mean uh, four kooky pens and ten gum balls? That's about what he's worth right now. Listen, the younger generation is not going to know what kooky pens are. I'm surprised that you. I'm. Su- I surprised that I still know what they are. Oh, I love uh, kook- kooky pens. So those things are the best. How do you know? Why do you know? Why are you still interested in kooky pens? Why? What is not interesting about a pen that you can write with, with a nice little afro, that was made of like string and rubber band and had a face on the side what was I mean, on appeal what was on appealing about that no it was appealing but i'm kind of surprised that you were that you would bring it up what because... can i say i'm a man i adam i understand that you are the one to bring up the obscure fact every now and again but i am also one to be with the times as well i'm kind of shocked that i'm not the person to bring up kooky pens also, you would be you would be the guy that would bring up that Dunkaroos are back. Man, Dunkaroos are so good. Well, they're back. They are. Yeah, you didn't know about this? Oh, Dunkaroos. Are, I used to know. I they used to be like a once in a like a month, like not even once in a lifetime thing. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so let's let's before Dunk, we Dunkaroos are back. I can I can confirm that information. They are available at your nearest 7-Eleven if they aren't sold out already because they are quite popular. I have not had one yet, but I, uh, I will have to try one at some point and have to report my findings on the podcast. Maybe, maybe what we should do for a uh, segment on the podcast, Adam, because I'm always just, just turning. My, my, my brain just works in very mysterious ways. We should get some Dunkaroos. And we should we should eat them together on the podcast, and we should give our live review and our live opinions on Dunkaroos. That sounds like a very interesting idea. It sounds like a bunch of guys that are fishing for fucking content. It sounds like not only, I mean, not only is the uh, wheel spinning in your head for ideas of new content, the wheel is also spinning on the reel of your fishing line, where you're fishing in the lake of content. This is true. This is very, very, very true. But somebody has to do it. It's not, yeah. It's a, it's a thankless job fishing for content. Somebody has, somebody has to. Because your job, your job, Mister Caster, is just show up and host, and you do a very good job at it. I must say. Well, actually, I came up with this Mount Rushmore, so true. I wouldn't. No, you did. You one hundred percent did. Yeah. You one hundred percent did. And I appreciate your heavy investment into the podcast. This thing that I came up with five seconds before we were about to jump on to record, but that's not, that's besides the point. I appreciate your heavy investment into, in the podcast. And don't, don't you notice how, what you said, 
have suddenly had much less weight the second time that you said it. <laughs> I appreciate your heavy investment in the podcast. Anyway. I'm just waiting for you to accept the fucking compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, what we're talking about is baseball. And we're talking about, I mean, I think I might have gotten ahead of myself because I don't think they're really worrying about the CBA yet. They're worrying more about what they're going to do with the season. And I think that with how much money that all of the owners have, and I mean the fact that I mean players signed legally binding contracts also, like they should be paid that much money. I mean the owners are being miserly even now when they uh, there was a a mass exodus, a mass cutting, if you will, of minor leaguers across minor league baseball, and almost every team has been doing it. So the owners are trying to cut costs somewhere. And I don't know. This is just like a long – I think the owners are playing the long game that they're trying. I mean, ever since – there have been some great pieces on ESPN about this, actually, uh, written by Buster Olney, where um, it's like the, the owners since 1994 have been whittling down the uh, Players Association's patience and will to fight. And – Really, they know, the owners know that no matter what happens, the players are going to be, like, if the season doesn't happen or if the players try and start this labor dispute to get the uh, wages that they think that they deserve, they're immediately going to be labeled by, as the villains by, by fans. And that's just, and that's how it was in 1994 when the season was, uh, was canceled. So yeah, it's, it's just a whole situation, a terrible situation that's happening, but with the amount of like kind of scummy business tactics that you, that wouldn't look out of place in Jeff Bezos's boardroom. I mean, really it's a, it's not looking good for Major League Baseball in the short-term future. You know, I, I I understand the position from both sides. I think that the the players have been more than forthcoming with trying to reach an agreement with the owners about a return-to-play plan. I believe the owners are acting in their best interest as well as you would expect. But the problem is, is you look now at what the owners want. The owners, the owners are being greedy, but at the same time, they're understanding that there's no season if they can't get the players on board. And the players, I think also in a way too are being greedy, but in a way of they understand that there is no season, there is no baseball that's going to happen unless the players are on board and they are completely comfortable with everything that they are getting in a return to play in a return to play plan. The players also understand this too, that they've already taken one pay cut that that's already happened. And you commend the players for that. 
the owners now want to offer a second pay cut for the players where it would really affect the top earners, players like Trout and Arenado and and uh, Garrett Cole, you know, the, the top players. Giancarlo player, Stanton. Giancarlo Stanton, correct. The top earners in the game where they would take a massive, massive pay cut and then everything that they are getting would trickle down to the low guys that aren't making as much. The problem with that plan is while it works in theory, why the hell should the top guys want to agree to that? Because the top guys, they while as, as, as selfish and as greedy as it sounds, they can sit at home and they're still getting paid. You have... You have players. You think Max Scherzer is really is going to be you know really willing to go out and pitch when he's making north of twenty million dollars a year, and you think he wants to go out and and pitch? Nope. No, no, doesn't have to. He's still getting paid. Those contracts are legally binding documents, as Adam Castro likes to say so eloquently. He could sit on his ass. He's going to get paid. And he has said this multiple times that he has said, you know, if if there is a proposal in here that it comes down with a pay cut, I'm not taking it. And nor should the players. And he's right. He's right in that regard. The players have already, already taken one pay cut. Why should they take another? So um, the players now, they they hold the entire season in their hands in a way of, they can decide that they want to come back and play. And I'm sure a lot of players do want that to happen. But at the same time, are they really going to do it at the expense of risking their overall health, their family's health, their own safety to do it? I don't, I don't think so. So um, if I had to put a number on the likelihood that Major League Baseball would be back this season, <sighs> I would say it's probably at around 10%. Wow. That's, that's a low number. Bleak. Yeah, it is. See, this is like the Premier League all over again. I feel like where it's, I mean, it's, it's a different scenario, but I think this, this is kind of similar for the other leagues that are going, are coming back. You know, there's still not like a, a viable real like a real viable treatment out there no. for COVID-19. Nope. And of course obviously there's no vaccine because if there's no treatment there's no vaccine. And they're like, "Okay, so cool. Everything's hunky-dory, right? So we can go back and do and do whatever." Like, no. You can't make believe like this is normal that we can just go back to normal now. Like stuff hasn't happened like it, this has not worked itself out. It will not work itself out. This is just, they, we have to live with this until a vaccine or a reliable treatment is found. So, I mean, the argument you see from a lot of fans, especially something that you heard a lot when uh, the NFL was going through their uh, whole shtick with the uh, owners fighting against the players. And you saw this in the NHL and the NBA as well where it was millionaires versus billionaires. And it's like this, and in a lot of leagues, it's like it's, it's an upper, 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 upper echelon of player that 
is admit that it are they're millionaires, really. I think, especially in baseball, like the guys that are not even 25-man roster players, 40-man roster players, they're barely making a million, if that, if they're sh- shuttling back from Triple uh, H to the big club. And just going from millionaire, from the lower end of the millionaire spectrum to the higher end, I mean, I don't know who this player is off the top of my head, but if you give me like the difference between a player who is still making at least a million dollars, the player who's making the least in that category, and then comparing him to Mike Trout, the gap between their salaries is as big as the Grand Canyon. And Mike Trout has significantly different problems as far as money is concerned than this player who um, makes just over $1 million per season. So I think that this is indicative of like larger issues in, in baseball specifically where, like I said before, you've had the uh, suppression of player salaries with, uh, with how lackluster, if you want to put a word to it, free agency has been the past few years where you have a lot of players who are frankly too good to be out of work for so long and not getting jobs because teams are just so all in to doing what uh, teams like the Cubs and the Astros asterisks have been doing or did to uh, win world series. And it's not going to change until there is change within the structure of the owners or just with how business is done in major league baseball. And I think that is one of those things that's really going to bite either the owners or the players in the ass when it comes down to CBA negotiation time. I think it was going to be, there was going to be trouble with the CBA regardless, but the whole COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the horrible, just the uh, dysfunction, the disagreements that exist between uh, the, between the major league baseball owners and the major league baseball players association. It's exacerbated it. And it's, really put it into the forefront because now they can't agree on this uh, on a restart plan for their season. When you've seen uh, other leagues like uh, the the NBA and the NHL agree on not only a a restart plan, but uh, playoffs. So, yeah. It comes down to greed and greed alone. It's plain and simple. And there is, obvious greed from one side and there is obvious greed from the other. So could it come down to who's going to budge first at the end of the day? I don't think any side is really willing to, uh, to compromise on the issue. So we may be without baseball. Honestly, if this goes on, I mean, I don't want to be too bleak about this, but if this goes on for any longer or if this goes on, into uh, the CBA negotiations, if they're as uh, much of a war zone as I think they're going to be, there could be a chance that we're not going to have baseball for even longer. 
than just 2020. That's a dangerous thought. Which I don't want. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, it's a dangerous thought. But actually, let's move on to some happy thoughts, because this is this is the, this is how the podcast works. This is the dichotomy. The news and notes is all is all the terrible things that happen in the world, and then the Mount Rushmore and the mailbag, the main segments of the podcast. That's all. Those are the fun go happy ones. Yes, the uplifting parts of the podcast, and that's what we're so here to for. speak. So to speak. So our Mount Rushmore today is something really cool, something interesting. It is moments of that we've experienced of our favorite sports teams. And frankly, I would love for our listeners. I don't know if there's really a comment section on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but I think you should send, if there is a comment section on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you should write down what your Mount Rushmore of favorite sports moments is. Because this is the one list where I think it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, not all, even like if you support the same teams, like if you pick two people that support the same teams in every single sport, they're going to pick different moments that resonate with them personally. I agree with that. And this is, I think this is definitely one that, uh, that everybody can definitely uh, go ahead and participate in. Yeah. Because I mean, honestly with the, uh, with like football, you're like, okay, so Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Vince Lombardi. Sure. Cool. That's accept. That's accepted. But this one, it's, it's like a, it's a wild card. Like you, you don't know. And this one, yeah, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop right there. Let's move on. So I think I have first pick, don't I? No, 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 no. I do. Why does that? I always mess that up. I do, because you were the you were the one who took Wayne Gretzky. I did take Wayne Gretzky. So I have I have first pick, and I have, um I am of course going to go with the one team that we have in common for the number one pick. Not that because it is my favorite sports moment, but it is because the one moment that I can say that I was on top of the world with being a New York Rangers fan. And that, of course, was the 2014 Eastern Conference Finals when the Rangers beat the Montreal Canadiens in six games to make it to the Stanley Cup when they then eventually did lose, sadly, to the uh, to the LA Kings in five games but for that six game uh series between the rangers and the canadiens that was i think that was peak of what being a rangers fan was like and then them winning game six it was that for me was the most unbelievable year of New York Rangers hockey that I've seen in my life. And here's hoping that the new crop of youngsters is going to come in and really help bring in a whole new era of uh, success to, uh, to the Mecca, to, uh, to mass square garden, to the New York Rangers and to my heart. So I am going with the 2014 Eastern conference finals between the Rangers and the Canadians when the Rangers then went to the Stanley cup final as my 
number one pick for Mount Rushmore to one that I am sure that Adam is not too happy that I just took, considering that is the only team that we have in common. Yeah, that's the only, that is the only team that we have in common. That's a great moment. I was actually going to – I was thinking yesterday, last night, they on MSG, they had the uh, Rangers-Capitals – in 2011 or 2012 in game three, that was in triple overtime. Yep. Ebrick's uh, triple overtime winner. Mm-hmm. Great game. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, bird would love to watch this. It was just a great game. Great series. Overall, another year that the Kings won the Stanley cup. Weird. Anyway. Oh man. My first one, this is, this is kind of tough. I'm not going to go with the Rangers. I'm going to start off with the Mets here. Hmm. And there are a couple I can pick for the Mets because also because I mean first off, I want to say that this is our this is these are moments that are specifically in our lifetime that have happened that we've seen personally. Correct? Which is why I'm so conflicted with the Rangers because I mean, I could just pick 1994, but I wasn't alive, so can't do it. Ah, the Mets. I could definitely go with uh, Johan Santana's no-hitter, pitching the first no-hitter in Mets history on June 1st, 2012. Great, great moment. But I think going in the same vein as Bird here, I'm going to go with with game four of the 2015 NLCS where the Mets swept the Chicago Cubs to make it to their first world series in uh, 15 years at the time because they had uh, beaten the, uh, or they had uh, recently lost to the, they had lost to the Yankees in five games in 2000. And so. As if our list, as if our listeners needed a reminder of who the better baseball team in New York is. Anyway, so well, the yeah. only professional baseball team is in New York. Well, that that one is just not accurate. Hundred percent accurate. Uh, just, just not accurate. Oh, don't don't worry, Adam. You think I'm only in the in the business of wanting to piss, uh, wanting to piss? Um, I, let's see. I've pissed off Jets fans. I've pissed off Mets fans. And I might piss off a few others in a little bit. So I'm on a roll today. I, I, I really am. I'm really am on a roll in terms of uh, getting under people's skin. Yep. You're your regular shock jock. Old school <laughs> shock jock. So, yeah, game four of the 2015 NLCS against the Chicago Cubs, where the Mets finished their sweep of the Cubs to make it to the 2015 World Series where they sadly lost in five games to the Kansas City Royals because they left Matt Harvey in for too long and Jairus Familia blew a save. Multiple saves, actually. As expected. Anyway, as expected. And now he plays for them. God damn it. And we, we still plays for them. Anyway, so yeah. Great. I mean, capping off a magical season where the Mets came uh, – battled back from being multiple games back in their division in September, uh, overtaking the Washington Nationals and making it all the way to the World Series in a year where it was like, 
are the Mets really going to be this good? You never know. And then they, uh, they almost followed through with it. And I mean, I wasn't really like cognizant of my surroundings when the uh, subway series happened. So this is probably one of my best uh, Mets memories of my lifetime. Cause I'm not fucking talking about the, the Carlos Beltran striking out with the bases loaded in 2006. I am not doing that. Hey Adam, at least, at least here, this is on my, uh, my crusade that I have right now against every other team that I don't like. I'm just going to leave no stone unturned here. Uh, at least you could say that you've seen your team go to a championship. Unlike Islander fans who are still re- resonating over uh, four straight championships. That they won almost 30 years ago. That is true. That is very true. No, well, now, no, this year, this is we're in the middle of uh, this is forty years. Math, forty years, forty years. Yeah, they, they, they their team hasn't hasn't sniffed the championship in in forty years. So at least the Mets have. So I, I can I can give the Mets credit on that front. Unlike the New York Islanders, who have maybe the worst fans in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I wonder if uh, nineteen eighty eight is going to be just as catchy as 1940. <laughs> if it, if it doesn't, we'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I have nope, a, yeah, you have another pick here, the snake. For, and for this one, I'm going to go with my jets pick and yeah. it is not going to be the one that everybody wants me wants it to be because i mean oh listen i loved that moment 2010 afc divisional round going to foxborough and beating okay. patriots this is actually this one is more personal to me and this was actually the moment i've told bird the story before this is the moment that i became a jets fan i don't know if i've said this on the pot on this podcast but i think i've said it either to bird off air or on the required radio fantasy show. You can definitely listen to that at requiredradio.com and at required radio on uh, Spotify and Apple podcasts and Stitcher and Google podcasts as well. Innocent plug, no free advertising. That's right. So my jets moment is the 2004 AFC wildcard game as a 2000, it was in 2005, but it was the 2004 season. And the Jets were playing the Chargers in Qualcomm Stadium. And basically, you remember Nate Kading, right? The uh, kicker for the Chargers, long, long-time kicker for the Chargers. Of course I do. So the uh, Jets were, were leading, go late into that game. And the Chargers were basically a field goal away from a date with the Steelers in the AFC Divisional round the next week. And Nate Kading misses that field goal, shanks it to the right. And at this point, I was actually over at my friend's house. I was in first grade at the same time, first grade at some point, I think. But I was over at my my friend's house, and they were having a playoff watch party. And we and my friend and I snuck in to this playoff watch party. And we saw, and I saw that moment happen in live in real time. And that moment, I was like, this is it. This is my team. I'm a Jets fan. And that's how it happened. So that moment is. And the my, rest was history. And the rest was history. 
as I'm wearing, I'm wearing a jet shirt actually on this pod as I'm recording, as we're recording this podcast. Oh, wow. I'm wearing, I'm wearing my, my ping golf cap. I'm wearing some under armor shorts. I am wearing no socks and I'm wearing my proud, uh, football life fantasy football commissioner t-shirt. No free advertising. Funny thing is I was about to think, I was thinking of that state farm commercial where it was like, what are you wearing? Kiakis. Uh, khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's well, a guy, so yeah. Ah, great. Oh, all right. So I have a back-to-back. You sure do. Um. Okay. So this really has come down to um the opposing fans that I want to piss off. So I have, I have Mets fans that I can piss off. I have Manchester United fans I can piss off. I have. That sounds like fun. You should go. You should go with that one. <laughs> that club to the north of us, I can piss off. I can piss off Giants fans. That's always fun. Yeah, I piss off Giants fans. Uh, I'm gonna go for the um, my second favorite sports moment of teams that I have seen in my lifetime. I'm gonna go for the Odell Beckham catch game between the. New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys that took place at that shithole known as MetLife Stadium. And what was so great about that game that everyone just just happens to forget was that, yes, Odell Beckham did have 10 catches in that game. I believe he had a buck 46 and two touchdowns in that game, including that catch, which was which was very, very nice. I'm not taking I'm not taking away that catch. But but the New York New York Giants fans. They are kings of the Tony Romo Sucks fan club. So it was very nice when Tony Romo, after Adrian Robinson caught a one-yard touchdown from Eli Manning with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, that Tony Romo got onto the field at MetLife Stadium and drove the Cowboys offense down the field in a minute and 59 seconds and threw a 13-yard touchdown pass to Des Bryant to win the game, to make that game incredibly obsolete. It does not matter that game because the Giants then went to 3-8 and eight, while Dallas went to 8-3. and three, And Tony Romo got another one on, uh, over Eli Manning, which we love because Tony Romo is a better quarterback than Eli Manning. Um, so, yes, I'm going to go for the Odell Beckham catch game because the Cowboys won that game. And that's something the Giants fans do not want to hear because apparently that whole thing doesn't matter. Uh, it only matters when they're successful. So, yeah, Odell Beckham catch game. That's a great pick. Do you, think, very, do, you, do you think I've pissed off Giants fans enough? Probably. Good. I think Good. you can Fuck. hear your brother screaming in the other room. Oh, no, he's not home. Oh, so I can say, still. I could, I could say fuck the Giants all I want. I can hear him screaming anyway. He's like, is Bird talking about the, is Bird talking about the fucking Giants again? God damn it. I'm always talking about the Giants. Fuck the Giants. It's, it's like dads in the thermostat. Where like you have like a spider sense about it, where you know that someone's messing with it. Yep. Yep. Fuck Giants. We have more Super Bowls than they do, so let's make that very clear. Uh, okay, so then after then, I will go with <sighs> moment that I've seen. I will go for. Oh, fuck. 
Who do I want to piss off here? See, this is this is how different we are. I'm just like, man, which moments may be the happiest in my life? Bird is just like, who do I want to piss off? <laughs> because, Adam, you don't understand. When other people are pissed off at the expense of my overall sports happiness, that's what quantifies as a great moment for me. I, I get that. So it's just different ways of thinking, I guess. Of course. In that, in that scenario. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for... Um, I'm going to go for June 12, 2009 as my next one, which happens to be when Alex Rodriguez hit a routine pop-up to second base which should have been caught very, very easily by second baseman Luis Castillo of the other New York baseball team. And in typical minor league fashion, which is what that other New York baseball team proudly represents, he dropped the routine fly ball and Mark Teixeira scored and the Yankees won the game. It was quite wonderful. But again, it really just shows you the golfing class between uh, what goes on in the Bronx and what goes on in Queens true professional baseball, which operates with class and dignity versus what goes on in Queens, which is minor league garbage that, uh, uh, which occasionally wants to show up for the big time and has some nice moments. Is that the same Alex Rodriguez that yelled in a third baseman's ear to make him drop a pop fly? Is that the same sort of a classy person? The same Alex Rodriguez that... That's what I call a true competitor. That allegedly took steroids during his career? Hey, you want want to know what's, what's really funny? What's really, really funny about this is that in the last 20 years, Alex Rodriguez has more World Series than your team does. That's very funny. Very funny. I mean, that's still not going to change the fact that he is an asshole who takes steroids. Hey, 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 hey. That could be your owner very soon. I, I would watch what you say. Still. I'd watch what you say about your owner. I mean, he doesn't own the team yet. Uh, he, he just might. What, what, what would you what would you call uh, J Lo if she's the owner too? Would you, who would you say is the uh, the majority owner? Would it be A Rod or J Lo? I'd rather it be J Lo because at least I know at least J Lo is an uncontroversial figure compared to a, standing next to A Rod. Anyway, she would think that uh, the uh, Mets ace would be uh, Shakira. It would probably want to trade for uh, for PK. Can you imagine? Love Jayla. Love Jayla. Beautiful, beautiful one. Anyway, so yeah, that, that just, you just got nothing to say to that. Because I know that you're just trying to bait me on this. So I'm not. No, I'm no, no, no baiting here. No baiting here. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save my, uh, my ultimate one for, uh, for the end. But, uh, but Adam, you have uh, you've two back to back. Well, here. obviously you're going to save it for the end because I'm not because I'm up. <laughs> yep. Um, my third one. So I've had the Mets. I've had the Jets. My Rangers moment. I am going to. Pick. You have a lot of choices for the Rangers. A lot. I do. I have a lot of choices. I'm just thinking of like which game seven overtime goal should I pick? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know my favorite. I know my favorite. That's easy. I'm just trying to remember what year it was. Was that 2014? Or was that 2013? 
or what? No, it was actually, it was 2015. This was the 2015 Eastern Conference semifinal game. Funny how I was talking about the Capitals before. This is Derek Stepan's overtime game seven winner. Adam, we have so much in common. It's ridiculous. Against the Washington Capitals. Yep, that's the one. Ah, uh, man. I, it's one of those games where it's like one of, my, one of the only times in my life that I wish Mike Emmerich was not calling this game because I, I would have loved to hear Sam Rosen's reaction during that moment. Adam, while we have a grave appreciation for Mike Emmerich and his attempt to be nonpartisan when calling the Rangers, and he fails at it quite miserably, Sam Rosen is, in fact, a national treasure. And I, I, I love that man with my whole heart. Well, I think I wouldn't be the only one in saying this. Uh, to say that uh, Mike Emmer calls Rangers game, Mike Emmer calls Ranger games like a man that used to call Devils games. It's almost like Joe Buck calling a Yankees game. Yeah, yeah, with extreme, extreme disdain. It would be like if they had Bob Papa having to cover a Jets game. Well, I mean, not even that. I think it would just be like, because like the Jets and Giants rivalry isn't really like that crazy. Like, it would be like if Bob Papa was going to call an Eagles game. Okay, fair. It would be like if Bob Wachusen called Patriots games. Like Boomer Esiason had to call a Miami Dolphins game. Oh, wow. That's a rivalry on two levels. Or like if Troy Aikman had to call a New York Giants game. Oh, wait. Yeah, but uh, at least he's not like biased about it. No, no, no. Troy Aikman, Troy Aikman is a true professional because that is what the Dallas Cowboys organization calls for. True professionalism at the highest level, which we achieve excellence at all levels, unlike some other football teams in the NFC East that do not even come close to that high level of superiority that the Dallas Cowboys hold over everybody else. I know. I mean, when the heck are the, is Washington going to change their name and set and have Dan Snyder sell their team? I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, my third moment is uh, Derek Stepan's overtime winner in 2015 yep. to send the Rangers on to uh, Tampa Bay. God, what? How terrible! All of our favorite, both of our favorite Rangers moments. Send send the team into series where they just get eviscerated. Uh, immediate heartbreak. Yeah. Uh, God, I don't Russia's know. I don't know. Course. I don't know what was worse. I don't know what was worse: the Alec Martinez uh, goal in the Stanley Cup Final or the Adam Henrique goal in the Eastern Conference Final. Oof. Both That's, killed me equally. Yeah. All right. So my fourth moment. No need to open up an old wound there. Go yeah. ahead. Go I'm ahead. Going on. Go ahead. My fourth moment. This is tough because we did say it was one per team. So we did. Yes. Because the I mean the Knicks have not done shit. And I mean they've done like one thing that was pretty cool in my lifetime that I've seen. And that was uh, beating the Celtics in a playoff series. But other than that, I mean, there's really not much. 
So I'm going to say that, uh, you know what? I, I do have one. And this is, and we're going across the pond for this one. Oh boy. Okay. And I think you probably know which goal I'm going to be talking about. Yeah, I have it already written down. And this is in 2012. And this is a goal that I'm frankly shocked that Martin Tyler is still, is still calling uh, soccer matches because I, I could have sworn that he ruptured his vocal cords when he called this goal. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. And you never will. Drink it in. Watch it. You never will. This is Sergio Aguero's stoppage time game winner against QPR. Title winner. And title winner against QPR. Well, I was going to say game winner against QPR to give Man City the title over their crosstown rivals, Man United. Fuck United. Fuck United. And... All the while, and all Sir Alex Ferguson had to do was just watch that screen and watch his dreams of another title crumble into the dust with Sergio Aguero's goal. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal moment of not only Man City's history, because it was their first Premier League title since, since the 60s, crazy enough. It was also a time where they were able to get get to the Premier League title over their biggest and some would say their only rivals. So that is my four. Is that one? Let's go on. Um, see, I had a lot to choose from. If Man City had beaten Man United in 2018 to win the Premier League title, then I mean... That would have been my moment, but obviously that never that didn't happen. I have a lot to choose from here because I'm not I'm not going with the Knicks because they have disappointed me time and time again. They don't deserve any sort of, any sort of happiness. Um, so it's Arsenal for me, and I could say I could say a bunch. I could say I have to be alive for it. But if I was going to say one all time, I would say uh, Michael Thomas and his uh, goal in the 93rd minute at Anfield to win the title in 89 against Liverpool. That was still one of my favorite goals to uh, to watch, even though I wasn't alive for it. Um, I could say I could say five two at the Bridge, Arsenal uh, defeating Chelsea in 2012. Um, I could say the 2005 FA Cup final between Arsenal and Manchester United. I could say I could say the two nil that Arsenal had against City at the Etihad with Santi Cazorla and uh, Giroud scoring the other goals that day. I could say the FA Cup final against Hull. I could say the FA Cup final. Against Aston Villa, I could say the FA Cup final against Chelsea, which listen, we you've all won, won a lot of FA Cups. We understand. Yes, yes, but my favorite, without a doubt, and it, it was very tough to pick one. It was very, very tough to pick one, but I'm going with 
the 4-2 win that we had at the Emirates in 2018 against Spurs. That, for me, that, that derby, that derby game was what the North London derby is all about. Aubameyang with the early penalty after a handball in the box to go 1-0 up, and you had freaking Emirates was going absolutely nuts then just end-to-end for the next 20 minutes until uh, Bern Leno completely whiffed on a set-piece situation and Dyer just tucked that in. And then that's when everything just kicked off in the corner when Dyer shushed the uh, the Arsenal the Arsenal end and uh, it all just sort of kicked off. You had Lich Diner who was in there. He was going at Dyer and Ali and Kane. You had Matteo Ganduzzi in there. You had Aaron Ramsey in there. It was a full-out melee. And then four minutes later, Harry Kane converted a penalty to go put Spurs 2-1 up. And then the second half, oh, mamma mia. Aubameyang with, that, with his strike from 30 yards out to make it 2-2. Then Lacazette off of his boot deflecting in off of Dyer to make it 3-2. And then Torreira in the 77th minute to make it 4-2, end the match, and just send the Emirates into full-on delirium. I watched that match from from home. I think I woke up my family. I'm pretty sure I did because I, I, I lost my mind. I fucking lost it. And, you know, it really says something about you know, football in general, when you have a match that can move you in that way and can really just send you so far over the edge like that, that's what the North London Derby does to me. Because, yeah, of course I have – there's a derby between Arsenal and Liverpool because those are two of the most successful clubs in English football history. Same with Arsenal and Manchester United all throughout history. And then of course, in the late nineties, early two thousands between uh, Sir Alex and Arson. And then you look at Arsenal and Chelsea, good old fashioned London Derby, nothing wrong with that, but Chelsea have no history pre 2005. So they're irrelevant in my mind, as far as I'm concerned, you look at what Arsenal and Tottenham means. It is the biggest Derby in England. It's not close. I don't want to hear what anybody has to say. Arsenal-Tottenham is the biggest derby in England. The North London derby is the derby. I don't want to hear about the Merseyside derby. I don't want to hear about the Manchester derby. The North London derby is the derby of all derbies. Simple as that. And this was a match that was just, it had everything that you want in a football match. It was Great to watch from from both sides. I kept saying something nice about, about Spurs, but here I go. The the football was great on, on both sides. The intensity was there. You had some fighting. You had the flares. You had the noise. It was truly, you could talk about all the things that the Emirates does and doesn't have. And I think a lot of, one of the things that people have said over the years that doesn't have is a consistent, proper atmosphere that day proved that on its day the Emirates can be a fortress. And I think there was maybe maybe only one other time 
that I could say that I've seen the Emirates like that, like it was that day. And I, it was probably in, in the Champions League when we beat Barcelona 2-1 when Arshavin scored to put us 2-1 up. And the place went into – the place just lost it. And then we went out in Catalonia because we have a referee that didn't understand what – what kicking a ball and trying to go for the goal means when you can't hear a whistle from 30 yards away when there's an offside flag up and it's in the middle of the play. But of course, Barcelona got all the breaks versus Arsenal, but that's okay. Is what it is. That's a great pick. That's a phenomenal pick. Thank you very much. I, I think as far as both teams being good at the same time, I think Arsenal and Tottenham, have a great derby in that regard because I think a lot of the time they there's been like a consistent quality between the two. I think you can say that also for the Merseyside derby with Liverpool and Everton. But uh, yeah, I, you know, but I think that the the thing with with City and United, the Manchester derby has only really picked up in allure. Well, I didn't say – I wasn't talking about the Manchester I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying it's only picked up in a lore over the last 10 years or so. Whereas with the Merseyside derby, yeah, it's it's had its its moments. Of course, Everton were huge in in the 70s. But then, you know, recently it's gone – as Everton have gone down and they've sort of been a middle-of-the-table sort of club, Liverpool have risen back up and they are, of course, the giants that they are. Uh, you could tell there's a true golfing class there, and but I think the one thing with the uh, with North London Derby for me is it doesn't matter where Arsenal are on the table, it doesn't matter where Spurs are on the table. Spurs can be in line to be relegated. Same with Arsenal. Spurs could be twentieth. Arsenal could be in first. Doesn't matter. Spurs can win the match very easily. Same if the roles were reversed. If Arsenal were in twentieth and Spurs were in first, Arsenal can win the match because you know, you know what that match means when you put on the lily white colors of Tottenham and you put on the red and white of Arsenal, you know what that game means. You know what that match means to the fans. You know what that match means to the club. It's the end all you could have. You could have the worst season imaginable, but if you could say you won at least once in the Derby, then you can, then you, you could say that you have something to at least, uh, at least sit on. That's the that's the great thing about the Premier League, which is finally looking like it's going to come back, um, is that there is going to be a behind-closed-doors North London derby, and I don't know how that's going to go. But Well, apparently they're going to pump in crowd noise from FIFA, so I guess that we're going to have, going to have that. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Potentially. See, actually... To uh, to close on that, I w- this is something that I told uh, – I was talking to my roommate, my college roommate, back when, we, when I was still in college before I graduated, that uh, about like football rivalry, rivalries and stuff, and this was in the context of, uh, a fo- of just football season. And in general, I can talk about this for baseball also. But I said I could – the Jets could go 4-12, and 12, and I wouldn't care as long as those four wins were against the Patriots and the Dolphins. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
I, I don't see any, any objection to that. I feel it's, that's, that's sort of the same way that I feel about, about Arsenal in a way. I, I feel like I, wouldn't, I would never say if Arsenal were relegated. We, that's not in our vocabulary. But I would say that if Arsenal were to finish 17th, as long as they beat Spurs, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay. I, I could be okay with that. So some honorable mentions. I mean, I could definitely have made my list lean more towards just being a dick to birds to birds teams, and I can it could be a very very different list. I mean, I could talk about uh, Emmanuel Adebayor sliding in front of the Arsenal fans when he scored at the Etihad. That was a fun moment. Big fan, big fan of that. Um, I could talk about uh, Tony Romo throwing the interception to Darrell Rivas on Sunday Night Football to lead the Jets to win that game in, Sun- in week one of 2011. Um, I mean, there really isn't a lot for the Mets and the Yankees, considering that they don't have like too many meaningful games in you mean, history. You mean, you mean games that the Mets have actually won versus the Yankees? That's what you meant to say, right? No, I mean, they only play like six times a year, so. My statement still stands. So there just aren't a lot of, I mean, it's just like it's an interleague series. I mean, it happens, and that's it. My statement still very much stands. And then, I mean, Bert and I both support the Rangers, so, I mean, it's not, I can't really do anything for that. But those two moments. Definitely, I can uh, make those more centered towards that. But I could, but I was not going to do that. I mean, just as far as like other moments in general, I could talk about uh, you know Man City having uh, getting a hundred points in twenty seventeen eighteen, uh, winning the playoff final in the second division playoff final in the uh, early two thousands. I could talk about, uh, obviously, the Jets in the AFC divisional round beating New England. I could talk about um, the Jets in 2015 in in week 16 beating New England in overtime. Eric Decker's overtime winner. Um, And then for the Rangers, there are just so, so many moments that I could talk about because the Rangers have had a fair amount of success in uh, our lifetime as far as the uh, playoffs are concerned. And then for the Mets, of course, you have Yohan Santana's no-hitter, and then you also have the, uh, the Mets and Dodgers in the, in the wild-card game. Um, and you also have the uh, Mets and the Giants in 2000, the uh, NLDS as well. So it was a lot of moments to pick from. A lot of moments to pick from, definitely. Bird, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to talk about before we wrap up here? Uh, I mean, we could talk about the Cowboys beating the Eagles in the wild card round in 2010. That was oh, also Monday Night Miracle. Didn't want to not mention that. Can't not mention that. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say the Knicks beating the Celtics. That would be one. Uh, the beginning of Lynn's sanity for the Knicks. That would be one as well. Um, 
Arsenal being Chelsea in the FA Cup final? You know, hmm. There is an avenue that we didn't go down with this, but they definitely do apply, I think. Um, I would say... I would say the Cowboys training for Amari Cooper would be one. Oh, yeah. No, we didn't. We didn't talk about transactions. We didn't go the transaction route. The Cowboys drafting Ezekiel Elliott was a big one for me. Well, I think it's just different. Um, Like, moments in the game are very different than just, like, reading an update. Yeah, but it also also depends on what what those actual – updates and moments do especially if you if you've seen them live um like for for example i know you can't relate because your club spends 50 million like it's nothing but when arsenal dropped 42 and a half million pounds to sign mesedozo from real madrid that that was that was nirvana for me not only was ozil at the time my favorite player in the world. But he was coming to my club, a club that never spent money on anything. But then when they just dropped 42 and a half million and smashed their transfer record by, I believe that they had paid 21 and change for Andre R. Chavin. And then they dropped 42 and a half million for Ozil. That was something that... I don't know. I, I didn't know what, hap- what true happiness as an Arsenal fan felt like in a long, long time before that. Then that happened. I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And now we could sit here and debate what Ozil's legacy is at the club. But the fact of the matter is, is that he. That's a different podcast, Bird. Oh, that is a much that is definitely a, a different uh, podcast. We have definitely extended the uh, the time that I wanted to be on this podcast for. <laughs> uh, that usually happens. Yes, it does. That is true. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I can't really think of. Mm, I would the Rick Nash trade. For the Rangers, but I mean, honestly, that was kind of that ended up being like kind of bittersweet in the end. I could say the uh, the Marty Saint Louis trade. That was a good one. That was a good one. I appreciated that. Uh, the Scott Gomez trade. Love that. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, when the Rangers signed Brad Richards. Yeah. Even though the the signing itself didn't work out necessarily as planned. Um. I was over the moon when they when they signed Richards. So that was one. Um, when the Rangers signed Panarin. Oh, that was a great one. Yep. When the when the Yankees signed Garrett Cole. The Yankees signed Teixeira. The Yankees signed Sabathia. When the Yankees made Alex Rodriguez the face of the franchise. I have no words for this. I'm looking for a rebuttal. 
I have none. You will, ha- you will get none. Who, who, who's, who's the face of the franchise for your Mets? What, what's his name? Uh, I would say it's either Jacob deGrom or Pete Alonzo or Noah Syndergaard. Those are just terrible baseball players compared to Alex Rodriguez. You mean the two-time Cy Young Award winner? Defending? Terrible. Terrible. Two-time Cy Young Award winner? He's trash. Who almost definitely doesn't take steroids and yells He's... at third baseman when they're going to field pop-ups? Trash compared to Alex Rodriguez. Who would probably be a better broadcaster than Alex Rodriguez if he retired today <laughs> and went into the booth? Goodbye. Goodbye. I no. You better be nice to your uh, potential new owner. Well, I hope he never buys the team. I I I don't want him to, but at the same time, I hope he does. Just so, okay. just so I can have my moment. I'm going into the outro now. Go, go ahead. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk podcast. You can the find longer all- you keep me on, the nastier I'm going to get. <laughs> you can find. <laughs> Man, if that didn't sound ominous. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a promise. That wasn't a threat. <laughs> You can find all episodes of the Basement Talk Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The name is just the Basement Talk Podcast. Please leave us a five-star review and tell us how much you like the show. And also, what is your Mount Rushmore of your of moments of your favorite sports teams? This is a list, like I said, is you will be unique for just about everybody. I may have to update mine if Alex Rodriguez becomes owner of the Mets. Either way. A Thank New York Yankees icon trying to bring some class and elegance and grace to a third-class organization like the New York Mets. Listen, I'm trying to I'm trying to get off this podcast as soon as possible. <laughs> I have things you're to not, say. And I have things to say. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of things to say. I understand. And you're not making you're not making this easy. This process. Do I ever? No, you don't. Okay, good. Good. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next time on the Basement Talk Podcast. Come on, you goners. Bye-bye.